Welcome to Session Central. Hey, Bobby, you're right. Yeah, good. Brilliant. Cool. Well, I basically wanted to um, do this interview in two halves. Yeah. First half, just I just wanted to ask you about your career from your beginnings to where you are now, and then the second half, just focusing on what advice you can give to people wanting to get into a similar career to yours. Cool. Cool. So, um, when did you start playing guitar? When did um, your career or playing career begin to you? Um, well, I actually, I actually started playing guitar quite late. Um, I was thirteen, having pestered my parents for about a year for a guitar. Um, I guess that's quite late. I mean, you know, you know, you read about people that started when they were six. Um, I wasn't one of those people. Um, but you know, kind of as soon as I decided that's what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of ran with it. So, uh, so yeah, um, it was actually, a lot of people will say, um, I know a lot of people my age, they kind of go back and say, oh yeah, it was when I, when I first heard the uh, BB King live at the Regal, you know, that made me want to, want to play guitar. But, um, you'll find that a lot of those guys, it was actually, uh, Van Halen live about a net video. <laughs> I borrowed that from a friend, saw uh, Eddie, and thought, right, that's what I want to do. Nice. And uh, yeah, just kind of, you know, kind of got into blues at a little bit of a later stage, um, around about kind of fourteen, fifteen, you know. But it was definitely, uh, it was definitely uh, Eddie. Nice. In terms of like, from the point onwards, did you um, attend any sort of music college, or did you have any sort of most like formal? music education after you started playing well no i didn't well i kind of um i I don't really know how to say this i was kind of i guess mistaught a little bit because um you know growing up pre uh pre-internet you know you had to uh go to the library and rent hotlix videos i don't know if you remember hotlix videos probably before your time um and uh, i remember pestering the library to uh to get a, a Paul Gilbert video in uh, Intense Rock Two, yeah, <laughs> oh, nice. The library to get it, and I sat, you know, I sat there and I, I kind of just, uh, you know, watched it over and over again. I may or may not have uh, copied uh, tape to tape with two VHS machines, um, but uh, I mean, there was a lot of um, a lot of people learned from, you know, there was some guy down the road who knew something, so he'd show you something, and then someone else would, you know, be very generous with their time and show you something else. So, um, in terms of kind of formal education, I was, after I left college, I'm sorry, after I left school, I went to um, I went to college and I did a BTEC national diploma in popular music, and I believe we were the first um, in the country. This uh, Harlow College was the was the first in the country to uh, to offer this course, and I think it's probably a lot more evolved than than it is now. Mm. Um, so that was it, really. You know, I was kind of self taught for a long, long time, um, just picking up bits from you know uh, magazines, videos, and and stuff. And um, a lot later, had uh, had lessons with Phil Hillborn, um, and he. Phil helped fill in a lot of gaps in my, you know, theory and and uh, stuff that if I'd gone to somewhere like BIM, you know, I mean, that would have been absolutely fantastic. And, and schools like that are, uh, you know, they're getting better and better all the time. Um, I, we did have, back then, there was the guitar 
um, I think it was actually called Guitar Tech, which became MIA, which is now ICMP, I believe. Mm. Um, and but again, that was kind of in its infancy. I had a couple of friends who who um, who attended uh, what was Guitar Tech, and um, you know they were quite generous to pass on to me stuff about modes and you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much kind of, especially now, you know, with, um, with even with a lot of on, online, you know, stuff and, and, and uh, people being able to just find things on YouTube and, you know, find stuff in magazines. And there's a, there's definitely a lot more in offer to, on offer to um, accelerate learning. You know, there's a lot of trial and error uh, back then. Yeah. So you'd say almost there's so many resources, it's almost like, impossible to learn in the way you did back then yeah yeah i mean you do have to be careful now you know i find that online that there is a lot of misinformation um but you know with uh, reputable uh, courses and you know you, it's, it's easy to see who's a good teacher and who's who's, who's a good player but um yeah back then there was a lot of trial and error i mean we still had the um just playing in bands was really how, how I learned, you know, just, just kind of, uh, um, just trial and error really. You know, if you play a horrible note, you kind of <laughs> learn not to the next time. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I did that for years. I, I probably did that for almost okay. too long, really. Um, just gigging around London and, and, uh, you know, various bands, uh, signed various, deals nothing you know nothing major just um you know indie labels um but it was a really good kind of baptism of fire you know it's a really good way to kind of get out there and and play um but i, I did that from the age of 15 till till i was about 32 oh wow <laughs> yeah a long time quite a while yeah i mean i kind of i i started doing session work um I guess in my mid twenties, I got got into that quite late, kind of fe- you know fell into it. But at the same time, I was still doing original material because um, I was doing a lot of because uh, I, I I sang and played as well. So I was kind of going down the singer songwriter route for a long time, and um, yeah, just sort of uh, it was really when I got to about thirty two, I thought, well, it's probably not going to happen now. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, just just concentrated solely on guitar playing. Okay, great. Cool. And so from the original side, did you manage to network with people and would this or did this get you into the session world through the networking, through the people you met along the way with your original band? Yeah, it kind of did. I used to record, um, I got a little bit of work through just studios that I used to record in with my original bands and then I'd, you know, befriend the producer and, and you know, that that various producers would say, oh, we've got someone coming in who wants a bit of guitar or a bit of vocals because I, I did a little bit of vocal um, session stuff, you know, just layering harmonies and whatnot. And, um, yeah, just kind of, I did make a lot of contacts that way, actually, thinking about it. Um, yeah, so it's really difficult to backtrack, you know, because it's, it's so long ago. Quite <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, also, um, you shouldn't underestimate the the power of getting into uh, function bands because a lot of working function bands now um, have very good musicians who are 
you know, session musicians that are on such and such a tour and, and, and are doing the function thing um, as a bit of kind of, you know, bread and butter money. Yeah. And um, certainly myself, myself and certainly a lot of other people I know have kind of fallen into various tours um, just from contacts they've made in, in function bands. Um, you can always tell in in Brighton, um, particularly, you know, uh, you can always tell the the BIM students or the or the BIM graduates um, if you pass, say, uh, Brighton Music Hall, for instance. You know, on a summer afternoon, if you walk past and there's a band, you can always tell there's that certain um, layer of 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 kind of polish from the from the BIM students and from the the BIM graduates. You know, people that really kind of know their stuff. So. Um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a valuable thing to do, and it's and it's great for repertoire and and just you know just kind of uh, playing with other, other people and making contacts. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, well, when did you start getting into the whole function world? Um, I was in my oh god, long sort of early twenties, I suppose, um, and uh, yeah, just did that for years alongside the original stuff, you know, weddings and 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 what have you. Yeah. um yeah you know still still do it now um on and off do you still um have that same level of enjoyment or do you still find it exciting as when you started yeah i mean it depends what's in the set yeah <laughs> there are a lot of uh there are a lot of uh standards but you know occasionally you, you might you might get something in a different key and that kind of keeps you on your toes a little bit but um yeah it, it is it is when you do a good one it's as good as doing, you know, an originals gig. Hmm. You know, the feeling you get from it. And it's just a great platform to, to kind of, you know, try new stuff out with solos and and stuff. Yeah, it's almost like a learning experience in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Fast forwarding a bit to um, probably from an external point of view, your sort of top gigs, for example, uh, the Pink Floyd. Um, tribute acts to Brit Floyd and it's the is the Australian one as well yeah yeah I got into that from um a weird chain of events actually thinking back um it was actually I got into that from having done We Will Rock You in the West End all right I can't remember how I can't remember the chain of events but I was recommended again it was actually um going back to Phil Hilborn recommended me to to uh Depp on We Will Rock You um, which I did in the West End for a long time and then went on to do it full time in Zurich and Vienna and then again as a Depp in Stuttgart and just, you know, just um, did both chairs um, on various uh, productions. Um, and then, yeah, the Aussie Floyd thing, um, I started that as a Depp um, and, yeah, was, was recommended for that. Did that for a few years, mainly in the US, Um because the band had kind of split into two halves. There was um, there were certain musicians who didn't want to tour the US because there were so many gigs. I mean, we're talking about um, nine months of, of touring, uh, you know, throughout the year. Wow. So um, that equates to about 150, 160 gigs. Um, <clears throat> and then from there, the, the, there was a split in management. And then the Aussie Floyd, um, the us touring lineup became brit floyd um there are actually no australians left in the lineup so you know there had to be a name change and oh, right. uh, again I, I did that for um that was kind of my main 
gig really for um, about five or six years. Um, and in that time, just, you know, got to tour the US, Canada, um, Europe, uh, a bit of the Middle East, you know, all over. But for a tribute band, I mean, it's 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 a production, you know, it's a huge, it's a, it's a big production and you get the, the level of um, gig, you know, level of production that you get. Um, I wouldn't say with the real thing, you know, with the real Pink Floyd, because obviously that would be on a, that would be a, a kind of stadium gig. If you look at, you know, uh, Roger Waters tour, the war tour, for instance, but you know, it's a big production, lights, lasers, the lot. So you get to play some, um, Get to play some really, really good venues, you know. So, so you know, Red Rocks, Wembley Arena, the O2, the Albert Hall, um, and uh, you know, it's a, it was a great, great experience. Um, kind of living on a tour bus for I don't know five years almost. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Cool. When um, when you left the Pink Floyd tribute bands, how long was it until you got the Sir Cliff Richard gig? Um, well, I actually. Um, it's, it's sort of difficult to, I, I was looking to get out of doing the, the Floyd thing. It was just a lot of touring. There was, um, a lot of politics involved, um, with management yeah. and, and, and whatnot. And, um, so I was kind of on the lookout for other things. Um, so I was actually on tour in the U S, uh, when I got the call from Cliff's MD, um, who, uh, asked if I'd be interested and just found me via my website, um, and you know went along for a, a kind of informal audition just playing four or five songs and um yeah went back on tour because this happened during a break in, in the u.s tour i came back um was living in brighton at the time and um i was back for about a week uh and then as soon as i set off for the u.s again i found out that i'd uh, that i got the gig which was oh, wow great so yeah i mean that, that was about two years ago now Oh, fantastic. And it's been great because he's, I mean, you know, Cliff's, he's always um, had a really, really good band. And, uh, I mean, the rhythm section is fantastic. You know, the, the MD's great. It's um, the, the arrangements are actually, believe it or not, surprisingly rocky for uh, some of the, I guess, kind of newer stuff. Um, but you also get to do Hank Marvin impersonations as well. So that's uh, that's good. Oh, wow. Yeah. You almost get to almost replicate the people you originally learned from. Yeah, exactly. It's quite kind of spooky in a way. But, um, yeah, certainly a lot of fun. I mean, it's, you know, stark contrast to uh, to what I have done in the past. But, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a fun gig. Nice one. Um, so when was um, the Brian May gig? What Was that um, with Brian May or was it a, a concert where Brian May was playing? Was it? Yeah, it was um, – it was – during we were rock you because Brian um, and Roger Taylor would would pop in because um, they were heavily involved in in the production. So um, yeah, he would uh, he would come in and um, normally he'd get up and play Bohemian Rhapsody. So uh, that was always always fun from the master himself. Yeah, yeah, it was strange actually because Roger Taylor would would sometimes get up and play, but it was only if they could get his kit on on stage you know so logistics sometimes um didn't allow for it so i never got to play with roger taylor but um yeah he's such brian may is such a lovely guy he's just he'll he'll chat with you about anything you know um and just fantastic player 
Yeah, he is. He's like he really knows his um, almost like the guitar science as well. Yeah. Like he really knows. Um, I think there's an instance where um, someone play, you know, or he's talking about um Hank Marvin. Funny enough, and um, he's like, well, if Hank Marvin played his guitar, like he's not going to sound like Brian May. He's going to sound like Hank Marvin. Yeah. yeah, definitely as well because. Um, with that production, uh, with, we were rocking, yeah. we, um, we had to play the Brian May guitars. And, um, I mean, obviously that's a, that's a, a huge part of his sound, but, you know, he, his fingers are, are the sound. And it was amazing that, you know, playing the same riffs, um, playing the same uh, uh, solos, you know, in the hands of the various guitarists that played on the, on, on the productions, you know, the various depths, everyone would sound different. And... Um, it's always a challenge just to kind of get as close as you can, you know, and then you go back and reference the original. It's the same with, with, um, with playing, you know, David Gilmore solos in a, in, in a tribute band, you know, you, you have to keep going back and cross referencing the original recording. And sometimes over the course of a tour, um, you have the tendency naturally to, to drift, uh, right. you know, away from the phrasing and, and you know little nuances and, and and that's i mean that's only natural because that's making you know making it your own that's what you would do in say like a you know like a, a regular cover band or if you're playing in an originals band and you're just covering someone else's song you know you have that artistic license to to put your own stamp on it but when there's so much emphasis on um every audience member kind of just you know hanging on every note and just knowing exactly where this phrase is going um yeah it's a bit of a challenge kind of going back and and just uh you know just cross-referencing the original material and realizing that you're actually quite far off you know you may be playing mm. right notes but all the little inflections and the you know and the phrasing you just know it's something new every time yeah that's making it almost like quite exciting yeah yeah but scarily never-ending as well yeah <laughs> Cool. I'd like to move on to some advice from an active freelance guitarist or a session guitarist. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask you, if you were looking back to your 16-year-old self, what advice would you give that person if they wanted to get to where you are now? Do you know, I think about this on a daily basis. There are so many things that I that I would do differently. And it's always the same. You know, if, if, you, if you, I don't know if you do this yourself, when, when you go, oh, if I could go back to, say, it's almost like a kind of back to the future thing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> back to, to when you're like, you know, 14, 15, knowing what you know now, guitar wise. Um, and, but I would definitely, I mean, one of the number one priorities, I would say, um, get into a school like BIM, uh, definitely, because it's so valuable, not only to advance your plan. I mean, you, you know, you've got a great curriculum there. Mm. Um, but not only to advance your playing, but to meet like-minded musicians, you know, you, you'll undoubtedly form a band there. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, just the, the I guess the, the social element of being, you know, somewhere like Brighton or Dublin or Bristol or, or, or London or Berlin, somewhere like that. Um, and, um, I mean, a lot of, I, I'm not sure if, if, if you have it, I'm sure you do, but a lot, a lot of the guitar schools um, have a department that puts musicians um, forward for auditions. And um, yeah. you'll certainly make contacts. In, you know, and I, I would love to have, have done that, you know, if I could go back and, and, and do that again. But also just, 
Um, there are certain things that I wouldn't have wasted my time on, you know, certainly a lot of pointless uh, chromatic exercises and stuff that you're never going to use musically in the context of a solo, you know. But, yeah. again, I mean, that's all just part of tr the, the trial and error of, of being kind of, um, I guess, self-taught. Hmm. So that's almost for yourself rather than almost for the music. Yeah, yeah, just, just playing, you know, practicing things that are that you're going to be able to use in real world situations. Mm, yeah, definitely. Cause I think that's um, just from like my observations, I'd see loads of guitarists practicing all oh, these like really horrendously fast. I don't know. Phrase really? Yeah. Like really technical <laughs> phrases. And I'm just thinking like, unless you really, really enjoy it and you get so, so much enjoyment out of it, you know, it's almost a waste of time. I don't know. Would you, yeah. would you agree? Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, um, I kind of, you know, I, I, I started playing guitar in the late 80s and then, you know, the, the early 90s happened, the grunge scene come along, bands like, you know, Nirvana, Soundgarden, um, Alice in Chains, you know, they kind of killed the, the guitar hero in a good way because before that it was just getting a little bit excessive. Um, and I remember going to see Extreme um, at Wembley Arena and it was the third time I'd seen them and on this particular night, Nuno Betancourt did four solo spots, four unaccompanied solo spots. And he's obviously, you know, an incredible guitarist. But at that point, I thought, yeah, well, I think th this has gone a little bit too far. You know, this kind of um, sort of self-indulgence. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and the grunge thing, it kind of needed to happen. But as a result, you know, doing, playing in bands, I mean, you kind of almost had to renounce rock guitar. You had to... Uh, you know, the solos had to take a back seat, and sometimes you were, you know, you were told to to play deliberately badly. Um, uh, and I remember hearing that on a lot of recordings as well, where you think, well, I know that this guy can play really well, and why is he, why is he doing that? That's that just sounds, you know, too, kind of too garagey. It's kind of gone full circle where for for the longest time, especially in the nineties and like the early you know, the early, uh, it's going to sound really old, the turn of the century, you know, the early right. noughties, um, if that's what we're still calling it. Uh, you know, it, it, it was still, uh, people were saying that, you know, if you play in those, those ridiculously technical licks, that's never going to get you a gig. But there have been instances um, in which it can, which are really, like, take um, the, the West End show, uh, Rock of Ages, um, the one of the, the main guitar chair, the lead guitar chair on that, um, I think the brief is that you have to play, like, a face-melting, ridiculously technical solo. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and you really do. I, I, I've never actually done that show, but I, just, I know people that, that have played on it, and that, that's, um, that's part of the brief, you know. But it's kind of, it's almost done in a... In a in a kind of nostalgic, you know, kind of nod to, to the eighties sort of way. But there, yeah, there are, there are times where, where it's necessary, even with the cliff gig, actually. Um, there was one song in the set that I had, I had to play for my audition where, um, Brian May had played the original solo on the recording. It's a song from the nineties, I believe. Mm. Uh, and the guitarist that I, um, that I replaced, um, who had, been doing the gig for years he interpreted brian may's solo in his own way and he was very much um he was a, a real kind of fusion alan holdsworth 
type guy, fantastic player. Yeah. But hearing this solo, thinking, oh, blimey, I've got to learn that. I've got to practice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just some ridiculous alternate picking. And um, so, you know, it has its place, but it's. Uh, I, I find now that you see a lot of. Um, Guitarists, you know, kind of traditional. I mean, I'm gathering that you're a, a more of a kind of a, tra- I don't know what what would you say, like a more more of a purist, kind of more in the in the sort of bluesy side of things. Yeah, I think um, I think I've got my main guitar playing philosophy. If you don't have to play too much, don't. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like really play for the song. I think when I'm playing with whoever, well, whoever in whatever context, I'm always thinking of the whole ensemble rather than just, oh, I'm going to play this tapping yeah. lick because it sounds great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. And um, I know um, in the in terms of like the sheer number of musicians leaving music college or people who are almost at the same level as music college graduates especially guitarists there are quite a lot of them yeah would you say that i yeah i mean definitely you know <laughs> that, that that is also one of the things you know if i could go back and do it all again i'd be a drummer or i'd be a bass player because you get more work but i don't think i would have had the same passion for for you know drums or, or bass as, as i as i had for guitar but there are certainly yeah um there's there's no shortage of guitarists but there are different you know there are different um different types of different types of guitarists and you know you might you might go for an audition and be up uh, i guess uh, you know it's not a competition but you might know the guy who auditioned before you and you might think oh i'm not i'm not going to get this he's he's you know he's all over it and you'll find that you'll get the gig because you'll you know you were just right for Mm. it i think that's important as well um having another um having a a, a, you know people call it in, in marketing they call it like a unique selling point um but having a, another skill um, that will make you um, more attractive for certain gigs. I mean, with some people, I, I know a couple of guys who, who get a lot of work. You know, they're primarily guitarists, but they get a lot of work because they also play keyboards to, to quite a high level. Um, okay. I don't. I'm, I'm terrible. But uh, <laughs> but I or, – or if you sing, you know, if, if, if you do good backing vocals um, – and I think, I mean, that, that's, I've, I've got quite a bit of work because, you know, because I play and sing. I mean, I'm not, you know, Chris Cornell, but, you know, I can, I can carry a tune. Um, or also, you know, something like maybe a bit of slide or a bit of lap steel or a bit of, you know, just something other than your, your standard, say, fretted guitar playing. Um, that's, that's definitely important. Okay, cool. So would it be best to have almost like a mastery over a specific style or playing rather than be like a jack of all trades? Um, again, that's really that, that's quite difficult because in the session world, you know, you're going to need to do certain things that are outside of your comfort zone quite mm. quite frequently. I mean, I, I would never, you know, I'd never get a jazz gig. I mean, I know jazz harmony, not to, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to stand and play giant steps or or whatever you know in, in a in a kind of um in a in a jazz or sounding like a seasoned jazz player but um yeah it, 
that's a really difficult thing because some people do get they do get the work because they um, because they kind of have a specific you know um, they might be like a great country player or a great blues player um, but yeah the jack, the jack of all trades thing is is important as well it, it really it really depends on the gig yeah yeah I'd say you know maybe just learning like a, a little bit of slide you know enough slide not not to kind of become the next Derek Trucks but just a, a, you know enough to get by so that if you know if the job requires someone who plays a little bit of slide then you know you're more likely to get it or 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 just you know concentrating on backing vocals or i mean a lot you know a lot of people get a lot of work because they're good readers good side okay. um yeah i mean that's so, a uh, skill not to neglect and i actually have for <laughs> a long time because I'll, I'll get a gig where you know reading is 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 the core focus and then I might not do any other work like that for, for a number of years. So, you know, it's like, it's like learning a language and, you know, my reading skills kind of fall by the wayside. Um, but it's something that I, I practice on a daily basis now, just on the off chance that, you know, someone's going to stick something down in front of you and say, right, read that. <laughs> and would you say like the skills quite, I don't know, is it quite common or would you say it's very uncommon amongst the general guitar playing community? Um, reading. Yeah, re- sight reading. Well, um, I a lot of people, a lot of musical directors are kind of sympathetic to to the fact that um, the guitarist is going to have the uh, the worst reading skills in the band, and it's a weird thing actually because I I had quite um quite a blinkered view when I was uh, in my teens on reading. Um, where I thought, well, the only reason people wrote it down in the first place was because they couldn't record it. So, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. and I, I mean, I did, you know, I, I, I did focus on it, but I didn't put as much focus into it as, as I maybe could have. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a piano player or, or a horn player, um, then, you know, reading is really important as part of the, part of the learning process. But I think the reason a lot of guitarists uh, or guitarists in, in general have a reputation for not being strong readers is it's a difficult instrument to read on because yeah. you've got so many different positions in which you can, you know, you've got, you've got so many places on the net where you can play a middle C um, and uh, it's deciding, you know, someone puts something down in front of you, it's deciding what position you're going to play that in, you know, if it's in, if it's in A, if you're going to play it in like fifth position or second, you know, second position, open position. And um, it's not as, um, this is kind of, you know, being very uh, defensive, uh, you know, to, towards guitarists. Um, it's, it is difficult to, to read because you kind of have to sit down with it and kind of work out the fingerings, work out the best positions. Um, certainly when it comes to sight reading, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a nightmare, really. <laughs> it is. And what it is, it, it is, especially as opposed to like a piano. Yeah. Yeah, where middle C and that's it, yeah. Exactly, so it's very, very straightforward. But in terms of, like, choosing where to play, for example, middle C, would an MD say, oh, play third fret A string, or would it just be completely your judgment? Um, A lot of the time it would be your judgment. Um, A lot of MDs are are piano players um, that that I've encountered. But, yeah, certainly in, like, a West End environment, it would be... um, 
it will be a judgment call. Um, if you're depping on the gig, you'll probably have sat in with the, the principal guitarist, so you'll get some idea of what they've done. Or they might be kind enough to give you um, a desk recording so that you can take home and, and, you know, just sort of. But I find with a lot of those gigs, there is a there's a lot of cross-referencing involved between, you know, what's on the pad and, and what the guy's actually playing. Um, so yeah, I mean, there is, there is a, a, a judgment call there. I mean, again, depending on the show, I mean, I haven't really done a lot of those, a, a lot of those different shows. I've only done a couple of, you know, like, uh, uh, we were rock you and Rocky horror show, but certainly in those cases, um, yeah, a lot of the time, um, yeah, some of the songs are just, just, um, just, you know, chord sheets. So that's really kind of open to interpretation. Hmm. So what guitars or equipment would you use for a West End show? Well, a lot of um, uh, they, uh, a lot of shows have kind of gone on to, you know, Fractal and, and Kemper stuff now, which is great for, especially, you know, if it's one of those jukebox shows where you have to get, um, where you have to replicate sounds from, you know, a number of, a number of eras. Um, and that makes it a lot easier. Uh, I know that when when we did We Were Rocky, we had Brian May's AC thirties in a um, like an ISO box, just cranked up full. Wow! And that, because you, it wasn't loud, but you felt it. You know, you felt the vibrations, and and you you can't. I mean, you can you can replicate that now. You know, nowadays with with uh, with the Axe effects or the Kemper. Um, but um, I mean, I, I I swear by that stuff for for anything now. You can't, you can't be, you know, the, the, the purest in, in, in you can't be, you know, gigging with uh, like a, a Fender Twin and like a Tube Screamer, you know. But um, just in terms of just having the, the portability and having access to, to that many sounds that when you hear it over over front of house, you know, no one's going to tell the difference unless you've programmed a particularly process sounding sound which is obviously still possible to do mm, cool and just almost as a final point where do you think the future of getting into the session world will go what do you think guitarists will have to do to get work maybe in about five years time is this something almost you could predict now um oh, it's really difficult to say i mean i know that a lot of studio sessions are um that the, well, they're becoming fewer uh because people are doing what they call I, I don't like to call it online sessions because you're not actually physically online but you know remote sessions from 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 your own home um i mean that's definitely um i know a lot of people that are going in that direction so um i think there'll be a lot more of that and um in terms of the uh in terms of the the live stuff it's difficult to say because the industry is changing. Um, I certainly think, you know, the younger pop artists are going to want younger bands. They're going to want, you know, people that have, like, like yourself, you know, people that, 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 are, that are just about to graduate from BIM rather than, you know, guys like me, like 40-year-olds, you know. I mean, we're, we're going to, we're probably going to get, um, for me personally, you know, I mean, it, it, focusing on the, uh, focusing on working for artists that have been around for a, a few years. I mean, they're, 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 they're the jobs that I'm more likely to get, I guess. But, uh, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to say because, you know, the industry is changing so much. Um, 
I think that shows, you know, the West End side of things, that's something that's never going to never gonna die out. And, you know, there'll be more of those, as there have been, more of those kind of jukebox shows cropping up. Um, so, you know, that that's a good thing, and certainly in terms of um, certainly in terms of getting work. Um, I mean, maybe even the tribute band uh, circuit. I mean, that's something that uh, the original artists are no longer touring or they're no longer around. You know, I mean, there's been a, a massive um, uh, influx of Bowie tributes, obviously, in the past year, and Prince tributes. You know, for better or worse, that that there there will um, there will always be tribute acts to to those uh, to those artists so um yeah it could be a lot of work there for people to um you know start doing prince impersonations <laughs> yeah it's almost like artists who are not necessarily at the same level as the beatles in terms of age but you yeah. know like 30 40 years old you can predict that when these stars eventually retire that the hunger for their music is still there and they yeah. and obviously people still want to experience the sort of aura of the original yeah well it used to be a, a real it used to be ridiculed i guess it is to to you know still by some people the whole tribute band thing but i remember certainly when i was doing um original material um we used to play a, a venue called the standard in walthamstow and there were always tribute bands and we were always um supporting a tribute band and there would be you know nirvana tribute bands and nirvana was still this was when kurt cobain was still alive you know i think so maybe um no i think maybe it just died but you know there were there were tribute bands like rage against machine you know bands that were still very current back then um and uh, we used to kind of mock it a little bit and then i started doing it <laughs> for a living and i thought well can't really bite the hand of feed you now um but also People have likened it to um, going to see, you know, the the, the works of uh, a classical composer perform live. You know, obviously Mozart's not still around, so um, you know, I mean, that's that's one way to kind of, I guess, sort of validate it, I suppose. But um, but it's, I mean, good music is good music. I think there will always be, certainly on, on the you know tribute band side of things, there's certain there will always be Beatles tributes. There will always be Queen, uh, Pink Floyd, you know, ABBA. Um, just kind of timeless, timeless music, you know, we're, we're Led Zeppelin. Um, I think that's always going to, that's always going to be a thing, you know, in yeah. many countries all over the world. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause there's still hunger for that music in a sense that a Led Zeppelin tribute band was almost sought after almost like 20 years ago. Yeah. Cool. And just sort of round off, like what's new on the horizon for you? Yeah, I've got, there's a very exciting one which I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, Ooh, okay. But that's 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 very exciting. Um, and uh, I have a tour coming up with um, Cliff in June, UK tour. Um, oh, which is going to be a lot of um, outdoor uh, venues. Oh, fantastic! Well, that's, that's, that sounds like you're going to have a fantastic time on the road with Cliff. Yeah. Cool. Well. That's been absolutely fantastic, Bobby. I really appreciate you spending the best part of an hour with me. That's, yeah, no, well, you've been giving me some really amazing information. And, well, thank you so much. Yeah, cheers, Kieran. Yeah, I had to think on my feet for a lot of it because, um, obviously, you know, a lot, a lot of it's kind of going back and backtracking and, and, and just just sort of retracing my steps musically. But, um, no, it's been, uh, it's been a real insight. Well, thank you very much for, you know, well, talking to me and I'll be in contact very soon. 
Excellent. Well, cheers, Bobby. Have a great rest of your evening. Yeah, you too. Cheers, Kieran. Lovely speaking. Cheers, Bobby. Take care. What a legend. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I thought that was pretty cool. Next time I'll be talking to another guitarist called Alan Salmon. He's a really cool guy. He's done a lot with Thriller Live, which is a Michael Jackson tribute act, and he's touring all over the world with it. I know he's got some very awesome stories and very helpful advice to give. If you haven't done so already and you enjoyed the show, why don't you head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash session central, all lowercase. Yeah, logo is a big blue circle with a white guitar. Fancy. And once you get there, if you could give the page a cheeky old like, that would be much appreciated. Thanks for listening, guys, and I'll catch you very soon.